you would turn back with me in your copies of God's Word to our previous scripture reading, Galatians chapter 3. Our text this evening is verses 6 to 9 of Galatians 3. Even as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Amen. Beloved, I know I've said this to you a number of times as we've opened up this portion of God's word. But it's so crucial for us to remember as we enter into this text that, of course, we find ourselves in the midst of a historical controversy. Of course, we find ourselves looking at the churches in Asia Minor, and and we find them, of course, dealing with historical figures, and we're dealing with, of course, a a historical debate. But, beloved, as I've said to you already, I think the counsel of our forebears is so potent, especially in this moment, When you and I read the Word of God, even as we come to historical context such as we do this evening, we read it as though these words were spoken by the living Christ in your ear, even now. You see, beloved, as we open up the epistle to the Galatians, I could simply ask you a question. I could ask you, why is there a controversy in in the churches in Asia Minor? Why is there a raging conflict among the Galatians? Is it simply because men have a misunderstanding of the Word of God? Is it simply because men have have innocently wandered away from the truth and, and all that they need is some kind of intellectual correction? Uh, by the way, I've asked those questions, you understand that the answer is no. You see, the Judaizing crisis was a crisis, had its inception because of the human heart. And so in this epistle, you'll find that the apostle does not deal so systematically as he does in the epistle to the Romans with these themes. He deals, he deals polemically. He deals passionately because his target is the heart. His target is the heart because he knows truly that is the inception of the controversy. And beloved, this evening, that's precisely what the apostle does. He deals with the heart of those who are involved in this historical moment. But as he writes under the Spirit's inspiration, your heart and mine are under the scalpel as well. You see, in this text, we find the apostle continuing argument that he really began at the end of chapter 2. It's one argument, but but we've seen that that one argument at the end of chapter 2 that that really was made from his own experience giving us those sublime lines that John Brown of Haddington once said, he would forfeit all of his learning, all of his knowledge, if he simply could have more of a sensible understanding of those truths. The apostle comes at the end of that text to remind the churches in Galatia that the truths that he has preached, he has personally known. They've borne into his own soul. But then as we saw at the beginning of chapter 3, the apostle makes the same argument But now he argues from the experience of the Galatians themselves. He he brings themselves to bear witness to the truth that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ, it came with power 
And it came with power only by the free grace of God. It was no, nothing merited by the Galatians themselves. Experientially, they were aware of this. He's made one argument, one from his own experience, now from that of, that of the Galatians. In verses 6 and following, we find that he prosecutes that same argument, but now taking on a different front. As you look at verse 6, our translations read, even as Abraham believed. And that's a fair translation, but the, the context helps us, I think, to understand this really as a continuation of what has gone before. The sense is, the apostle is saying, take, for example, Abraham. Here we find the third front of this single argument. Here he's going to argue from the inscripturated experience of Abraham to demonstrate that the gospel of God is one of free grace. As you look at this text, you'll notice that he again draws his attention to Abraham throughout these verses. And specifically at verse 7, he speaks of these Gentiles becoming the children of Abraham. And friend, of course, you know that that's not a theological nicety, that he's really hitting, as it were, the very nerve of the controversy. You see, the Judaizers were saying that there must be some prevening works, meritorious works of obedience, that must be accomplished in order for a man or a woman to receive the warrant then to take hold of Christ. And so the argument goes that unless those works are done, they have no interest in the covenant of grace that was so clearly manifest in Abraham. In other words, they are not children of Abraham unless there is this kind of meritorious obedience that is first achieved. But here in verse 7, the apostle reminds them, no, those who have like faith as Abraham had, they indeed are the children of Abraham. Now, friend, as you look at this text, I want you to notice that these verses, though they're, though they're, they're few in number, the lines are pregnant with truth. In fact, as you look at the text, the apostle prosecutes an argument that's elegant. It has so many moving components to it. And we could be enthralled just, just by the way in which he prosecutes his case. But as you look at verse 6, he begins. He begins his argument with a quotation from the book of Genesis. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. To demonstrate that Abraham was justified by grace through faith alone. And I suppose he could have stopped there. He could have stopped there and he could have continued in a line of reasoning such as what we have in Romans 4. But he doesn't. He continues on. In verse 7, he says, Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And he says, Those who are possessed of like faith, these ones are the children of Abraham. Verse 8, he brings this home to the Galatians. He says here, citing a promise, promise that we read even in Genesis 15, that the Lord God would draw the Gentiles to himself, but that in doing so, these ones will be justified by faith. And then in verse 9, he closes and really draws the argument to its head. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. 
Notice, friend, he cites the blessing of Abraham. And really what he's doing is he's drawing our attention to everything he said up to this point about Abraham's benefit, namely this justification. Here the apostle is telling us pointedly that all of those who have like faith, all of those Gentiles who, as has been promised, have been brought in and justified by faith, partake in that self-same blessing that Abraham enjoyed. They are justified, as was Abraham. You see, friend, we could spend so much more time in these verses, but, but you see how the apostle roundly refutes the Judaizer. He says very pointedly here that there is no room for some kind of meritorious obedience. That there is no room for self-righteousness. If you're truly children of Abraham, you must come to know this blessing only by a like faith. And so, friend, the Judaizer is roundly, roundly refuted. Some kind of prevening obedience meriting the warrant to Christ is here clearly proscribed. But speaking to the heart, beloved, this evening, speaking as we ought to, to really the crux of the matter. The Apostle is also dealing with legal inclinations that are found in your breast and mine. The Apostle pointedly tells us here that all, all who receive this grace, this like blessing, are equal. Equal in their need for free grace alone. And equal in receiving the fullness of the benefit that is offered to them by Christ. And beloved, that is our theme just briefly this evening. Our text here teaches plainly that all saints receive the same justification through the same instrument. And I want us to consider that under two headings. I want us to consider, first of all, the matter of imputation as it comes to us in this text. And then lastly and finally, the the instrument that's cited. The text reads simply, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. I've already said to you, of course, that's a a text that takes us back to Genesis 15. And if you look at this text, you remember that in Genesis 15, we've not yet come to circumcision. We've not yet come to that moment, of course, where, where you have the sign and the seal of that covenant applied. And as we think about the Judaizing crisis, it makes sense that the apostle would go there, doesn't it? Here he takes us really to the root of the matter. He takes us to a text in which Abraham is pronounced righteous before the bar of heaven, before circumcision is instituted. And he also takes us to a text, I'd remind you, in which we find the promise of the Gentile coming into the same self-same covenant that they would know this blessing. But what was it that he believed? The content that Abraham believed is described for us in our text this evening as the gospel. I want you to notice that that's precisely what the apostle says to us in verse 8. Scripture is preached before the gospel unto Abraham. A friend, the root there is, of course, the word euangelion. It is the self-same word for gospel, right through the New Testament. Friend, note then what the Apostle is saying. 
He's saying that self-same gospel that here I'm enlisted in its defense. Here, the self-same gospel that I've preached and, and here vindicating in the midst of this controversy. That is the gospel that Abraham heard and that he believed. In fact, friend, if we interpret that word any other way, his argument falls to pieces. The gospel that he's referring to is that self-same gospel that he referenced previously in chapter 2. That self-same gospel that he says, men know justification by Christ in it. That self-same gospel that makes men dead to the law and alive unto God. That's the gospel that was preached to Abraham. And that's the gospel that he believed. And so when the text says that Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, that's the idea that the apostle has in mind. It's that gospel. And then note, friend, to really strengthen that very self-same point, he says, they which be of faith are blessed with Abraham. They, they in Galatia, they 2,000 years ago heard the self-same gospel that Abraham heard and believed, and so they themselves partake of that self-same benefit that Abraham enjoyed. It's at this point, of course, that Romans 4 comes to mind. The apostle at the end of that text says thus, he says it was imputed to Abraham for righteousness. And it was not written for his sake alone, namely that he, this was imputed to him for righteousness, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. It was delivered up for our offenses and was raised, again for our justification. You see what the apostle is saying. Abraham has enjoyed the fullness of that imputed righteousness that comes by grace through faith alone. And that which he enjoyed is what every believer knows, is possessed of that like saving faith. Well, it's a staggering truth here that the, the apostle demonstrates for us. He says here clearly that Christ's righteousness is imputed to all believers without distinction. All who are possessed of this faith, enjoy that self-same blessing. Friend, I know, I know you know this. I want you just to think for a moment why this was seeming, seemingly so scandalous to the Judaizer. The apostle here was preaching a gospel of free grace that said that even the Gentile, though he was immured previously in great and gross wickedness, Though for decades he had lived as an enemy to God, a stranger to the commonwealth of Israel, without God in the world, he said the apostle preached in earnest that he could know the fullness of the blessing that Abraham knew. And he wasn't saying that these Gentiles would know riches, that they would know health, that they would know any of those things, but that they would know the blessing of imputed righteousness. That before the bar of heaven, they would enjoy the self-same status as a man like Abraham. You see, friend, that's what scandalizes the legal inclination in you and in me. That's the very thing that really leads that part of us that is so inclined to the covenant of works to recoil. Beloved, as we look at this text, I want you to notice the Apostle is raising a theme here that is right through the New Testament. Though it grates against the flesh, it's the very theme that he insists on time and again. Just think for a moment of his argument in 1 Corinthians 1. 
You remember that there the apostle is prosecuting an argument somewhat different than that what we have in our text. But, but he makes use of similar ideas. At one point it's as though he looks at the church in Corinth. And he asks these questions. He says, he says where is the wise? Where is the scribe? The idea is, as he's looking at the Christian church, and he's taking attendance, he doesn't see these ones whom the world counted as the great ones on the earth. Where are they, he says. In other words, where are those ones you would most expect to find? You know, following God. Listening to his word. Walking according to his precepts. He says they're not there. Instead, God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. What's so staggering about the end of 1 Corinthians 1 is he says that those who are in the church are base. They're the base things of the world. Even here, the foolish things. But how does he close? He says, but Christ has made unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Say, well, I'm not sure I understand the connection. Well, friend, note what the apostle is saying. He's saying that though they are the base things of the world, though in the world's account you at least expect them to be found walking with the living God, he says in Christ they have all of these things. Though they are foolish according to the world, in Christ they are wise. Though they are the offscurring of the earth, in Christ they are made righteous, sanctified. You see, beloved, it's the self-same argument. And all, he says here, these things are done. He that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Friend, As we think about this text, the Apostle is saying that even these Gentiles who were lost for so long, who had been rebels to God for so many years, could enjoy the self-same status before the bar of heaven as Abraham. That's the point. And so Christian, as you think of this text, it does raise the question, and what do you boast most? What do you prize above all? If you could preach like an Ezekiel who had a whole congregation hanging as it were on his words. If you could sing God's praises like a seraph. If you could pray like a Moses or a Daniel. Friend, would you prize those things more than the blessing here that the Apostle insists on, that that Abraham knew and that was known to all who had like faith. Christ deals with that self-same question, you remember. He deals with that with his own disciples. He says, rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Beloved, is the imputed righteousness of Christ the blessing, preeminent blessing that you lay hold of? And that you rejoice in. You see, friend, if the answer to that question is no, if the answer to that question is there's something else that I would lay hold of, 
That is the mark, the symptom of a legal inclination. And here the apostle says that, that must be mortified. But as we close, we come to the second element of our text. Again, the apostle says to us in verse 6 that Abraham believed. And then he closes by talking to us about faithful Abraham. But, but the word there, faithful, of course, friend, you, mean, you know it means not that he was trustworthy, but that he was a man full of faith. The idea that the apostle is insisting on here is that Abraham enjoyed this blessing, was counted righteous before the sight of heaven, only because he laid hold of it by faith. Faith alone. And so, friend, what we find in this text is again another clear refutation of the Judaizing heresy. As Paul says in, Ephesians, in Romans 4, he says, If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. You, you see, the, the apostle here says there was nothing in Abraham by which he could make access to God through some kind of obedience. No, friend, he had nothing to glory in. He simply threw himself upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he was promised to him. Again, the apostle in Romans, where his boasting then is excluded. By what law of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. The Judaizer, he would say, you, you need to, to merit the warrant to lay hold of Christ. You need to contribute something so as to lay hold of the grace of God. But beloved, in this text we're told clearly that Abraham threw, rolled as it were himself upon his Savior. He was a man full of faith. And so, says the apostle, that faith excluded boasting, was contrary to this idea of meriting, and he's standing before God on one's own. See, beloved, as we look at this text and as we close, the gospel of free grace here that the apostle is so clearly vindicating is a gospel that truly excludes self-righteousness. It leaves men in a position, as he says in Romans 4, without boasting. It's excluded. You see, Christian, when we think about pride, we shouldn't, we shouldn't divorce those inclinations from our own inclinations to the covenant of works. You see, esteeming our own obedience in any way, esteeming it higher than we ought, is the self same error. Manifest in a different way, albeit. But it's the self-same root the apostle here seeks to destroy. You see, friend, for a man even to boast in his own faith is like a criminal who's offered pardon. Like a traitor to the kingdom who's offered a gracious and free pardon to the criminal. But the criminal boasts in the fact that he laid down his arms. He doesn't rejoice in the clemency of his king. No, he rejoices instead in his own works. See, beloved, the gospel the apostle here preaches and demonstrates, as he does from Genesis 15, is one that really and roundly destroys our legal inclinations. 
So, friend, as we close, my first question to you is, have you ever felt this leveling power of the gospel? Have you ever felt this leveling power of the gospel? And secondly, what is, what is it that you rejoice most in? Is it that you may pray better? That you might meditate clearer? That you might sing with more understanding and grace? Well, beloved, those things are all good things, but this text reminds us that our rejoicing is to be in this, that the righteousness of Christ is ours, and not by free grace. And friend, for the Christian this evening who's struggling, this text is a wonderful encouragement to us, is it not? You and I who are so weak, feeling ourselves limping as it were, here the apostle says you partake of the self-same blessing as did Abraham, and that blessing was this imputed righteousness. Abraham was no more justified before the sight of God than the weakest of those possessed of saving faith. Beloved, do you realize that this evening? That you don't stand with righteousness equal to that of Abraham. He, he did not impute to you the perceived righteousness that you and I might see in the best of saints. But all of God's people are imputed with the righteousness of Christ without distinction, admitting neither addition nor diminution. If you have laid hold of Jesus Christ in this text, the apostle says, though you may have been a stranger to God for years and years, though you have never been so high-handed and presumptuous in your sins before, but if you have laid hold of Christ, your status is that of Abraham and of the greatest of God's people. You stand clothed in the blemishless righteousness of Christ. And so, friend, may be called a friend of God, as was Abraham. But I'd leave you, friend, with an exhortation, because, of course, this text is aimed at the heart, as we said at the beginning. Allow this text, allow this text to search you and to wage war against pride. You see, friend, this text does strike at the very heart of the whole matter, doesn't it? That all in the kingdom who indeed have this righteousness have it equally. They all have the self-same blessing. All had the self-same need. All were condemned under the curse of the law. All needed to die to the law so as to live unto God. All of them needed that. So where then is boasting? See, friend, if we take this text as we ought to, it will wage war against pride. But it will also show us how closely related our unbelief and our pride really are. See, beloved, if we really believe what we have in this text, if we believed it more and, and more sensibly, we're acquainted with these truths, would we not walk a humble people? knowing that we all in the, in the kingdom of God partake of this great blessing together, that in this there is no rank, no order. 
And so, beloved, hear, hear now that this gospel is indeed the gospel of God. It's the gospel that offers sinners nothing less than the blessing of Christ's righteousness. May we this evening be found those who lay hold of Jesus Christ for it and rejoice in the Lord our God in having it. Amen.